Good morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 63. That's where we'll be this morning. This is our Soul RX teaching series, Soul Prescription. We're going to talk about intimacy this morning. How many have already taken a vacation this year? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay. How many after you took a vacation and you need a little bit more? Okay. How many have not taken a vacation yet? And some of you really, really need one. Okay, because I've seen, I've seen your attitude. And uh, how many uh, don't take vacations? Your life is just one big vacation? Show of hands. Okay. Just got back from vacation. Good to be back. And uh, so uh, we've got a great study here this morning. Just bring me down just a tad. Then I'll probably have you bring me back up, and we'll go back and forth a little bit here this morning. But uh, here's how we've been summarizing this teaching series through the book of Psalms. This is going to take us all the way home, all the way to our new place. So we'll see how many more weeks we have here. Won't make any promises, but uh, this is the series that will take us into our new place. Uh, Here's the kind of the thesis statement for this series. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. It's what the book of Psalms is all about. And Psalm 63 is about friendship, fellowship, relationship, intimacy with God. There's a lot of things I love about the Christian life. I mean, I'm, I absolutely love the, the forgiveness. I mean, he forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then I love the fullness of life we have in him, and I love the future in heaven, guaranteed. But the best part of the Christian life, the best part of the Christian life is fellowship, it's friendship, it's relationship, it's intimacy with the infinite. Nothing. Nothing compares to that. It is absolutely wonderful. There's nothing more soul-satisfying and life-liberating than to live in fellowship, friendship, relationship, intimacy with the Creator and the Sustainer of the heavens and the earth. That's what Psalm 63 is about. That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. We'll pray. And uh, we're going to look this morning at what are the marks and means to this intimacy with the infinite. Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. We were created by you, for you, to give glory to you. And you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. And we are most satisfied in you when we are living in relationship with you, in friendship and fellowship with you. It is through the sacrificial love of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross that we have been reconciled to you. Teach us this morning the marks and the means to greater intimacy with you. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So let's take a look at this. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to read through it from the ESV. You can follow along. And then I'm going to read through it through the message. I just wanted you to hear the message. It's it's an interpretation, not a translation. It's a paraphrase. And so let's read through this. Just absolutely. This just, if I just read the text itself would would minister to you. It just fill you up. This is like a, a brunch, Sunday brunch, feast. I mean, these, these words here. Uh, how many ever? How many like to eat uh, breakfast for dinner? Any breakfast for dinner, folks? 
Yeah, me too. I mean, just like, ooh, good stuff. That, that's what, I mean, this is, we're having breakfast for breakfast, but this is almost like a dinner for breakfast now. But this is a wonderful text. Let me read. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Oh, this is one of my favorite verses right here. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Let that land on you this morning. Better than anything in life. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of anything in life because I have your love. That's what he's saying here. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Yum, yum. I mean, that's what he's saying. My interaction with you, it's almost like eating just this great meal, is what he's saying. I mean, think of your favorite meal. He's saying that's... That's a little bit of a picture of what it means to interact with God, to have this relationship with God. And he says, And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, this is David speaking, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let me read to you from the message that same text. It's really interesting. Listen to what he says here. He says, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I like the way he says that. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. By the way, David is possibly fleeing for his life. He's in a desert region, though he may be, you know, externally, circumstantially hot, dry, and very uncomfortable. There's no desert in his heart, as you can see. Regardless of his circumstances, maybe fleeing for his life from his son, Absalom, who's trying to take over the kingdom. It's a little bit of the context here. And he goes on here and he says, So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I am really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. (laughs) That's good. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. 
Because you've always stood up for me, I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. Those who are out to get me are marked for doom, marked for death, bound for hell. They'll die violent deaths. Jackals will tear them limb from limb. But the king is glad in God. His true friends spread the joy, while small-minded gossips are gagged for good. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. So, kind of gives you a little bit of a different perspective. Oftentimes I'll read in a couple different translations. I'll pick up a paraphrase sometimes. It's, it's more of a commentary. Kind of helps you to understand that. So let me give you three marks. Three marks of intimacy with God. So this would be a good test to see where are you. Do you have an intimate relationship with God? I mean, you can have a said faith. Many people say they have faith in God. But do you really have a real faith? And so we're going to go over three marks and then we'll look at uh, three means to intimacy with God that we can draw from this text. And so let me give you the three marks. I'll just highlight them very quickly and then we'll go back and unpack each one of them. The first one is a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. So a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. We see that in verse 1. And then information about God that leads to transformation, verses 2 through 3. And then a life filled with praising and rejoicing in God. Verses 3 through 5. Okay, let's go through that here and uh, let's unpack that. Do you have this kind of relationship with God? Um, And it begins with a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. Now take a look at verse 1. Notice what he says. Oh God, you are my God. So it starts, God is the one that takes the initiative. This This is really, these are words of not only closeness but of confidence. He has confidence in his relationship with God. And God is the initiator of our relationship. The Bible makes it very clear in Romans 3 that no one seeks God. Jesus even said this. Uh, he said in John six forty four, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so he's very confident. And, and this is really how you know that God is working in your life is that you have, a, you have an appetite for God. The very fact that you have an appetite for God is evidence that God is drawing you because otherwise you would not. Now, this is what you've got to keep in mind is ultimately all of us really do have an appetite for God because we were created to have God at the center of our lives. And uh, everyone, but a believer, someone who's encountering God, having intimacy with God is that they recognize this desire within them, this appetite, all that my appetite is ultimately for God. It's not for a bigger house or a better relationship or, or more money. None of those things actually satisfy the longing in my heart. And so when you begin to see that, that's the grace of God revealing God to you and drawing you to him. So a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. So, oh God, you are my God earnestly. Literally, the word means early. It was like the song we sang, early in the morning, I will seek you. And it means not just necessarily time, but it it speaks of of God being the number one priority and the passion and the purpose. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Oh boy, another day, I can live for his glory. I can experience his presence in my life. That's the idea here. And then he goes on, I will seek you. You'll notice also that this is not a seeking of God as a means to an end. Get me out of this mess. God, I just want to know that you are with me. I want to seek you. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. So in those, that first verse, you see, there's a lot here. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And notice how he does this. He, he's kind of giving us this metaphor, this picture, as in a dry and weary land where there is 
no water. In other words, he's saying here, your soul needs God as much as your body needs water. And he's almost describing uh, a bit of heat exhaustion. He says, my, my flesh faints for you. Now, there's three different, having been a medic, and, and you don't have to be, have been a medic to know this, but um, living in the desert, there's three uh, heat-related kind of illnesses. There's uh, heat cramps is kind of the, the first level. The next level would be heat exhaustion, and then there's heat stroke. Heat stroke, you're going to die. It's just your, your, your system begins to shut down. You're no longer sweating. Uh, but with heat cramps and heat exhaustion is that you've sweat out too much, you haven't taken enough fluids, and you're depleted in electrolytes. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that you've probably have had, how many have ever had heat cramps? In the middle of the night, wake up and go, oh, like somebody's stabbing a knife into your muscle. And, and many times that's just a depleted, depletion of electrolytes or uh, you need more fluid, you know. Uh, potassium, eat some bananas or whatever. But he's almost describing here a little bit of uh, my flesh faints for you, almost heat exhaustion. We've all probably had a, a measure of that where we didn't, we weren't hydrated enough. We got outside, worked out in the yard, and just sweat like crazy and didn't uh, replenish that. And he's kind of comparing that to our relationship with God. And so let me say it again. Your soul needs God as much as your body needs water. That's the idea here. Really an interesting uh, imagery. But here's the point. When you recognize that you have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, that is a sign of God's presence. A recognition of his absence is a sign of his presence. The fact that you want God is God working in your life. I mean, that's what he's saying here. A desire, a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. Now, I begin to recognize... uh, that I had a desire that nothing in this world could satisfy back in my teens when I first uh, had, that, uh, had those, that little bike that had the banana seed on it. I forgot that kind of stingrays. Didn't they call those stingrays? Anybody that old that remembers those? And, and after a while, that stingray was fun, but then I had some friends that had a 10-speed. Remember, there were 10-speeds back in those days. Now, what is a 10-speed? And, uh, and then it went to 12-speed. You know, 10-speed, I want to get a 12-speed. And then it was the, like, 18. And then there was the 21. And then after that, hey, my friends have cars. I want a car. I got the car, and the car wasn't fast enough. And then it was the truck. And then I had the truck, and it wasn't fast enough. And before it was past its warranty, I took it down to Chuck Speed Center and put a high-rise manifold on it and a Holley uh, 780 double pumper, you know, big carburetor and all that stuff. And it still wasn't fast enough. And then my friends had a boat, and I wanted a boat. So I got a boat, but that boat wasn't big and fast enough. Their boat could pour, pull four skiers. My boat could only pull two. And I realized, what in the world? This is crazy. I'm trying to satisfy a desire within me with all of this stuff that really it's meant for God to satisfy, that God began to awaken me to the reality of that. When you recognize that you have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, that is the sign of God's presence. I gave you some verses on there, and a great example of that is found in John chapter 4 when Jesus meets the woman at the well. Remember, she had had five husbands. She said, enough of that, I'm just going to live with the dude now. And so she's, she's living with the guy. Jesus shows up, and Jesus says some really profound things to her. But one of the things that he says, he says, you drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. And he's speaking kind of metaphorically a bit. He's talking of the well that she was at to draw water, but he's talking in general about life. Drink of the water in life, you're going to be thirsty again. But the drink of the water that I will give you, you will never 
be thirsty. That's what he says there. There's a longing within our soul that only he can satisfy. Luke 16, 24, the rich man is in hell and is thirsty. And so he asked Abraham, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to, to dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue to, bring, uh, you know, to soothe it, which is interesting. This is all kind of metaphorical also. This is the torment of hell, a perpetual dissatisfied soul thirst. Because we were made for God. We were made to find our deepest satisfaction in God. How many have ever gone hiking in Oak Creek Canyon in uh, the West Fork area where you hike way back up in there? Anybody? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? But you'll notice kind of the water trickles down into there's kind of a little bit of a stream that goes into Oak Creek. But as you hike back in further, the, the, uh, the stream gets a little wider and a little deeper, and there's swimming holes, and it gets cooler because of the cliffs that are back in there. Oh, it's beautiful. So when you kind of start off a little bit hot, you're kind of still out in the open, but you start getting into the cliffs, and you can go uh, swimming back up in there. C.S. Lewis says something here. He says, if the lower reaches of the stream of God's glory are so intoxicating, then what must it be like to taste of the fountainhead? It's almost like that's the Christian life. That everything in this world, and I don't know if you've discovered this, but in the world it's the law of diminishing return or decreasing return. You know, your first beer gave you a little bit of a buzz, but then it, then it required two and then three and then the six-pack and then the 12-pack and then, you know, it's, it's harder liquor because you're just not getting the same buzz. It's crazy. I mean, that's what creates that addiction. And maybe it wasn't beer. Maybe it was stuff. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was relationships. Whatever it is, you're trying to fill a void that only God can fill. And there is this law of increasing return that the more you walk with Him, the deeper you go into to this relationship with Him. Oh my goodness, it's satisfying. There's a satisfaction, and that's what he's talking about here just in that first verse. And so there's a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. And then there's the next one is information about God that leads to transformation. Let me walk you through this because it's a bit progressive. He says here in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. So he's thinking about how he's... He's looked at God, he sees God in the sanctuary. As you came in here today and we didn't see God physically, we saw him spiritually through these songs. We're seeing him spiritually through the reading of his word, but it doesn't stop there. I see him, but I'm beholding your power and glory. So there's a seeing, but then there's the savoring. You're reflecting, you're thinking, you're, "Mm, God, you are powerful. God, you are glorious. And notice what it leads to, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life. So there's this information about God that leads to transformation. So as you begin to read his word, it begins to... So it's information enters your head, begins to melt your heart or ignite your heart, and then it works out through your hands and how you begin to live your life. That's what he's saying. I mean, and that's why he says, my, my lips will praise you. There's this experience of God's love. Your love, your steadfast love is better, better than life. And you get a little bit of that. I gave you a number of verses you can uh, read up through your growing notes, but Job 42.5, that's how, what Job experienced. In Job 42.5, he says, I had heard of you, so that's the intellect, I'd heard of you, I'd heard people talk about you, 
But now I've seen you. I've experienced you. That's what uh, Ryan talked about last week. And I taste and see that the Lord is good. And so uh, Psalm 27, a few weeks back, I talked about uh, Psalm 27.4. David runs the full gamut of issues that that we could face. And he said, "If if I could just have this one thing, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and... And, uh, and that's what he's wanting more than anything. Uh, Matthew 13, 13, Jesus says this about, uh, about the Pharisees. He says, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Now here's, here's the deal. You could come to church and see but not see. You can hear but not hear. Oh, went to church, checked that off the box. People do it all the time. Or you can come to church and you see him and you savor him and your heart is melted and your soul is satisfied and you are encouraged and you're ready to face anything in life because you know in your heart his love is better, better than life. That's the idea here. Information about God leads to transformation. It's almost as if, because he's in a bad place, he's surrounded by a desert, but he has no desert in his heart because he's applying the truth of God specific to where his heart is most restless. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating here. I mean, we all need acceptance. Would you agree? We, need, we want acceptance. We, we long to belong. We need to be needed. And so let's say you, you're in a long-term relationship and things are going well, you're thinking you're headed to the altar, and then you get dumped. Would that be devastating? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but you're a believer and you come to church or you get in your devotions, your personal devotions, you're hanging out with friends and you, and you read a text like Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 where God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's just not words written on a page. That's information that becomes transformation. It consoles you. It comforts you to be able to face the rejection. You'd agree with this, not only do we need acceptance, but we need security. But you've lost your job. You're wondering, how am I going to make ends meet? What am I going to do? And then you read a text like Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. And that's just not words on a page. That comforts you. you. You see him, but you're beginning to savor. He is my provider. He will take care of me. You see, there's a difference. You're not just seeing, you're seeing. You're not just hearing, you're hearing on a spiritual level unlike ever before. You're having an intimate relationship with God. You are encountering Him unlike ever before. See, that's what, that's what David is talking about here. See, see when he says this, um, your love is better than life, actually he says that your steadfast love is better than life. Listen to me, this is the love you have been looking for all of your life. Underneath all of your pursuits, this is the love you long for. I mean, this is a love that is out of this world. This is a friendship that is unequaled. Oh my goodness. That's that's what's happened to him in this. Oh, your love is better than life. I'm not even worried about my life anymore. If I have you, I have everything I need. That's what he's saying. Listen to me. Some of you are way too anxious. Some of you are way too angry. 
Some of you are way too despondent about life, about your job, about your relationship, about any number of things. You don't need to be there. You don't need to live like that. His love is better than life. The more you enter into this and experience His his amazing love, His steadfast love, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. There's no romantic love or married love or friendship love that even comes close. There's no amount of accolades or achievements or accomplishments that can compete. I mean, it's just... And that's, that's what that, that's all about. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. This, this might sound a little crazy to you, but Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon put it this way. He said, some of us know that it is what it is like. Some of us know what it is like to be too happy to live. The love of God has been so over." Powering, poweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we almost had to ask, God, stop the delight. If he had not veiled his love and glory just a bit, we would have died for joy. I know some of you are going, are you talking about the same Christian life that I'm living? No, probably not. I mean, all I'm saying is that this is available. God, stop the joy. I, I can't handle it anymore. That's what he's saying here. That's what, what David is talking about here. And by the way, it, this is that statement that I've, I've based this statement on for so many years now. I, we don't follow him because he makes life better. We follow him because of what? Because he's better than life. It's based on that verse right there. Because he's better than life. If you follow him because he makes life better, you're probably not going to keep following him. Because you're, you're going to go through hard times. But if you follow him because he's better than life, you can get through any hard time. That's, that's part of that promise there. Okay. Okay, here's the last one of the three marks. So a desire, so an appetite for God, and then there's this uh, belief. Belief about God becomes uh, behavior, begins to transform your life. And then a life filled with praising and rejoicing in God. I mean, let me read through that. Look at what happens. So, so he's, he's seeing God, and then he's savoring God. By the way, sometimes it takes me, I, in, in five minutes, sometimes I can get there, and then sometimes I can't get there in five days, and sometimes it'll take me a whole month to get to that place. Are you guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about you're going to have your little nice devotion, and five minutes later, woohoo! God, stop the joy. I can't handle it. It's not going to happen like that. There are times that it has happened. Sometimes I'll come in here during worship and I'll, that first song, sometimes it takes throughout the whole song list. Sometimes it takes a couple weeks of song lists. I'm just telling you that that's what we have to do. Sometimes there's that discipline of staying with it. It's like exercise. You stay with it. You stay with it. You stay with it. You don't quit. You keep, that's why he says at the very beginning, earnestly I seek you. You're the passion of my life. You're the purpose This is what drives my life. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. It's been a while, but man, I'm going to keep going after you until I have another one of those experiences. But notice as he begins to experience this, he says in the last part of verse 3, he says, my lips will praise you. And so this is kind of the, this is that third mark of intimacy. So appetite, belief that that becomes behavior, information becomes transformation, a sense of his presence, Specific to where your heart is most restless, you're consoled, 
And then there's this, boy, there's rejoicing. He's like, man, God's going to take care of me. So I will bless you as long as I, I will live, as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Oh, I've always loved that. That's a great verse. There's a, when we go on vacation, we go to a little place in Oceanside. I like the little town, Oceanside, there, and where we stay. And the very first day when we get there is that we all, uh, all family that's there, we all uh, hike over, kind of walk over to the harbor. And in the harbor, there's this uh, fish and chips place. And, oh, my goodness, the fish and the chips. And they, and they have a zucchini, and they dip it in batter and deep fry it and... Of course, you know, all that's all highly fried stuff, and it's just, oh, it's so good. It's yummy. I I was just thinking of that as I read that. I mean, you can't eat much of this. If you ate this every week, you'd die in a month, okay? But, uh, But boy... That's a little bit of the idea here. And then we, and when we get finished there, we, we walk a little ways down the harbor and there's this nautical bean, a, a little uh, coffee place, and we'll, we'll chase that with a, with a hot coffee mocha because it's like 60 degrees out there in the harbor. And it's good. And, and we sat out there and we listened to some jazz and, and oh, it was just delightful. And I, I was thinking of this verse here, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He's just celebrating. God, I know you're with me. You're for me. You're not against me. I've got you. I've got you. I can face, face anything in my life. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And so you can see that this, this praise. And I gave you a number of other verses there. You can see that that just, that seems to be the response. Let me ask, so I guess, let me ask you this. If you're walking in intimacy with him, Praise will be naturally the response. As, as uh, Ryan shared with us last week, Psalm 34, the first verse is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Man, if you're living in the reality of his presence, it's, it, praise will continually be in your mouth. Psalm 84.4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're just people that are practicing the presence of God ever singing your praise. And you guys are familiar with this verse, 84.10, better is one day in your courts than what? A thousand elsewhere. A thousand elsewhere. Part of being spirit-filled, Ephesians 5.18-21, through 21, a singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Listen to what, uh, what C.S. Lewis says about praise. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious, that word means capable of holding much, capacious minds praised most, while cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. He goes on, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, 
so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is complete, is incomplete till it is expressed. So there's a completion to our enjoyment of something when we express it to others. And so this is just the completion of his joy in God as he tells the world about how good God is. Okay, so that's, that's the marks. How do we get there? Okay, let's, let's spend just a little bit of time. I, I spent most of the time on that front end, and I'll, we'll knock out the next part quickly. But, but let me ask you this before we move on. When was the last time that you communed with God and the time just flew by? I mean, it was just like, wow, where did the time go? And, and you've had that happen before. You, you, you get together with some friends you hadn't been with for a while, and two, three, four hours fly by. See, that's the kind of relationship we can have with him. When was the last time that you felt your burdens coming off? That he began to meet you right where you are, and you felt those things beginning to be a little bit lighter? When was the last time that you felt that you were soaring to the heavens in your communion with him? When was the last time that you said, Stop the delight or I'll die of joy? I'm not saying that you're not a believer if you've never had any of those experiences. I'm just saying that it's available. I'm just saying that it's available. And there could be some things that are are keeping you from experiencing. Let's, Let's see if we can explore some of those. What are the means to intimacy with God? Let his steadfast love captivate your heart. Because that word for steadfast love, he says his steadfast love, that's, a, that's an important word. And uh, how do you know that you're captivated by his steadfast love? Look at verses 6 and 7. I think he answers that for us. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing. What is it? What is it? What is he saying here? Here's, you've heard me say this many times before. Let me say it again. This is what's helped me out tremendously. Bishop William Temple uh, put it this way. Your true religion is what you do in your solitude. What your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention is ultimately what has captivated your heart. What do you daydream about? If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, he would be the greatest subject topic to daydream about. I mean, there would be no greater satisfaction found in your life than to daydream about him and walk with him and to know him and to experience him. That's what he's saying. In the middle of the night, when I wake up, that's where my thoughts go. They go to him. He's with me. He loves me. I interact with him. I talk with him. There's this two-way interaction. There's this dialogue. He comforts me. He consoles me. He strengthens me. He's with me. That's what he's talking about here. So where do your thoughts go when your thoughts... Because what's happening is that there's something that's, that's, a, that's a counterfeit God in your life. You're going to something or somewhere or someone to console you. When you get down in life, where do you go? That's, that could be that substitute God. 
If the beauty of God's steadfast love for us doesn't take our breath away, something or someone else will. And probably the best definition of his steadfast love is, is actually in the Jesus, uh, um, the Jesus uh, story Bible. Yeah, it's the story book Bible. It's for kids, okay? I, I put the initials down. I couldn't remember what the book was, okay? But, it's, but this is how it defines his steadfast love. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Isn't that, isn't that good? And in fact, I'm not going to go through it, but in Genesis 15 is the best example of that. You guys familiar with Genesis 15 when there's that covenant made by God and God says to Abraham, I want you to go out and make a sacrifice and cut these pieces. And what's, what is interesting is that Abraham lived in an oral storytelling culture. They made contracts by acting them out and by cutting an animal in half and walking between the pieces in essence was saying, if I don't fulfill my vow according to this contract, may I be cut like this animal? May I be cut in two like this animal. Now what's interesting about this vow that uh, God makes to Abraham is typically an inferior would, would certainly need to do this, walk between the pieces for a superior, and very rarely would a superior have to walk between the pieces. He had nothing to prove. And yet what's amazing about this story in the 15th chapter of Genesis is, that, is who walks through the pieces and who doesn't walk through the pieces. Because God walks through the pieces and Abraham doesn't. And it's almost as if God is saying, may I be torn to pieces as this animal is if I violate this vow, this commitment. And if you violate this vow, may I be torn to pieces. And guess what? He was. He was torn to pieces for you and I because we violated the vow. That's his, see, that's, that's his steadfast love. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Did you know that he loves you like that? Not based on your performance, it's based on his performance. Based on what you're, you're going to continue to foul up. But the way that you keep from fouling up so much is to understand his steadfast love for you. You need to be anchored in his steadfast love and, and let that go from your head to your heart and, and begin to nurture that. That takes us to the next. Avoid suppressants and indulgent stimulants of your God appetite. You see David in, in verse 9, he says, but those who seek to destroy my life, and he's talking physically, but there are those that are seeking to destroy your life spiritually, your own sinful flesh, the, the ways of our world, the society, and then you have an adversary that's gunning for you. And this is where he's working. He's working to make you complacent about Jesus. Because it starts with, remember, we talked about this during the Nehemiah series. It starts with complacency. Complacency leads to compromise. Compromise leads to chaos in our life. Eventually, it's inevitable. And then before long, we're crying out to God, and then we return to that covenant relationship. But the battle is in the area of complacency, keeping our hearts fired up for Him, delighting in Him, finding our greatest delight in Jesus. And so I put a number of verses here. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 29-30 that when you understand what you have in Jesus, you're, you'll take drastic measures if it means to pluck out your eye and cut off your arm to deal with your own flesh so that you'll have a heart that's passionate for Him. Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What is that? 
Well, that, that's a screening process. The stuff that you watch on TV or the movies you go to or the magazines you read, we become like the people we hang out with. So what are you feeding yourself regularly? Is that stuff suppressing your appetite? No wonder it's been a while since you've had this kind of an encounter with God because you're suppressing your appetite. You're getting appetite suppressants. You've eaten before the big meal and now you're not hungry. See, that's, we do that with our kids. You know, I think it wasn't too long ago my wife said, hey, we got a really good meal tonight. And I was starving like right there and it's going to be another hour I couldn't wait. Don't tell her this. I kind of wrecked my appetite. Why? Because I just kind of, like, just a little bit here, and oh man, that's really good. Uh. But if I would have thought about what was waiting for me, I'd have said, whoop, not, not that. I want, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm holding out because I know this is a great meal. That's the idea. That's the idea as it relates to God. So you begin to screen out stuff in your life that doesn't stir up within you this appetite for God. And the devil is in the business of killing your enjoyment of the steadfast love of the Lord. He prowls, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. John Piper put it this way, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. So, so you got... Let his steadfast love captivate your heart. Avoid suppressants and indulge in stimulants of your God appetite. And here's the last one. Make a commitment to live for him regardless. And that's where, we, where he has this idea. Uh, verse 8, my soul clings to you. That word clings is an interesting word. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 where it says a husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. A man will leave his father and mother and be united. It's the same word for cleave. He cement. He's committed. Till death do us part kind of an attitude. It's the same word. It's the same kind of an idea as he starts off. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. I'm not giving up. And, and so in verse 8 he says, my soul clings to you. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what happens to me. I'm going for God. That's what he says. It's a commitment. And so, make a commitment to live for him. Make a commitment, a vow, a promise to live, obey, serve, follow, enjoy him. Regardless of feelings, circumstances, what people say. Why? Because his steadfast love is better than life. Because that's what he did for you and I. You know, we live in a world today, people say, well, I fell out of love, or I fell into love, or we fell into love. You don't fall in and out of love, okay? It's a commitment. Love is a commitment. And, and love is saying, I will be there no matter what. And the reason you would say that to God is because he first said that to you. It's how God loves you. The cross proves it. Probably the best example of this, I know I've, I probably overshare this uh, video We've got time. I'm going to share this. It's about a three-minute video clip, and then Ryan's going to come up and end on a song about God's love being extravagant. And this is an opportunity for you guys, for all of us, to, to encounter his love. I want you to think about his steadfast love. The best, I think the best example of that steadfast love is found in this video clip. It's Martian Child. You guys remember that? He's, he's out on the ledge, and so we're all kind of like that Martian Child. I watched it this last week, and I 
I had to fight back tears. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. This is the steadfast love of the Father for us. This Martian child, a science fiction writer played by John Cusack, recently widowed, considers whether to adopt a hyper-imaginative six-year-old abandoned and socially rejected boy who says he's really from Mars. And so he's out on this ledge waiting for Martians to come and get him. I mean, he feels totally rejected, dejected by life. He's weird, just like you and I. And we desperately need the, the... the steadfast love of the Father. And yet, listen to the words of this Father. I'll come back up, wrap it up with just a few statements, and we'll sing this song. We'll be finished. Watch this clip. You can tell them about all the stuff we did and how much fun we had. Dennis, look at me. Tell them about all the fun stuff we did and, you know, how much fun we had. You can tell them how... How hard you tried. You know, to fit in, to be like all of us. Human beings can be kind of cruel. Huh? I promise I'll tell them you were nice to me. Thanks. You're a great human, Dennis. That's the funny part. And I just wanted you to feel like you belong to me. Because that's what I think you really want. Underneath all this, I think you want to belong to someone. I wish we could have more time together. I want to prove to you that not all parents disappear forever. Why do they go sometimes? I don't know. That's a... Sometimes it's their fault, and sometimes it's not. It's a, it's a mystery. I don't know. Because they were stupid. Whoever let you go, those were the stupidest beings in the universe. I mean, they were so dumb they couldn't even see what was right in front of them. How could they not see how extraordinary you are, how big your heart is? I'm not even that smart and I can see it. It's so obvious. I mean, you're the easiest kid in the world to love. Well, to me you are. You know what I think? I think you love me, too. I think you're just filled with it. I think it's just waiting to burst out of you. Dennis, you're my son. You're my home. Forever. And I will never, ever, 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 ever,
Sometimes we forget that children have just arrived on the Earth. They are a little like aliens, coming into being as bundles of energy and pure potential, here on some kind of exploratory mission, and they're just trying to learn what it means to be human. For some reason, Dennis and I reached out into the universe and found each other. We'll never really know how or why, and discovered that I can love an alien, and he can love a creature. And that's weird enough for both of us. That's Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. That's, that's steadfast love. That's why he's saying his steadfast love is better than life. I put on the end of your notes, God has gone to unbelievable lengths to communicate his desire for us to be close to him. He's given us his book. He's given us his son. He gives us his Holy Spirit. It's the best, it's the absolutely the best part of being a Christian. It's intimate relationship with him. Look at him dying in the dark for you and you'll live in the light for him. Let his sacrificial love for you melt you into his likeness. Stand with us as we conclude with this song.